Hi, this is a bonus episode of We Speak Common, and today I'm talking all about how to run war in D&D. I'll give you how I would do it, and some opinions on whether or not you need a specific rule set, or whether you can just go in and improvise. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to the D&D podcast for everyone because here we speak common. Uh, my name's Ben and this is not what I thought I was going to be doing today. Hi, <laughs> this is a bonus episode of We Speak Common. Um, basically felt a bit weird today, felt a bit like, I don't know, demotivated, a little bit um, withdrawn from D&D. We did, we did a session on Saturday and I really wanted to just get into it again and continue the story. You know how it is. And you get those kind of weird D&D withdrawal systems. And I started thinking about the show and about the content. And I was just got in my head and was like, I, I don't know if my show has been very good recently. I don't know if it's been giving out good information. And so instead of wallowing in that, I've decided I'm just going to get in front of the microphone and do a little bonus episode and hope that in that way it will do one of two things, or hopefully both of them. One, it will scratch that D&D itch that I've got at the back of my brain. And two, it will make me feel a bit better about the show and make me feel like I've put out some useful useful content for you. Because it's strange, this show started off as a way for me and a friend to just talk about D&D and get better. And um, that should still be the case. So I'm here to talk about some stuff. And I'm on my own today. So this is a completely different way of doing this, and you might love it, you might hate it. And actually, it's a bonus episode, so it's kind of a an experiment in that. I'd love to know whether you hate the fact that I'm on my own, or whether you want to hear more of it. Because I'll be honest, sometimes it's hard to find someone to sit down with. Scheduling is a bitch. We know this. We play D&D. It's, it's you know, a core part of of our hobby. Side note, how odd is it that you get into a D&D hobby and uh, you think, yeah, this, this hobby is going to be about playing D&D and fighting monsters. Then it turns out that it's just about learning time management, <laughs> learning how to schedule your time with your friends. So, yeah, so we're going to go in and jump into a, a topic that was suggested on the uh, We Speak Common Discord, which has been rolling around my brain for a little while. I've got some thoughts. I just want to get them out there. I was originally going to save this for next week's episode and, you know, do it in the traditional sense. But I kind of have had these ideas rolling in my brain and I just want to get them out. So uh, if it's something that you think you like to hear more about, then we'll we'll jump into it again in the future. But um, by all means, let me know. So I suppose the first thing we should do is say thank you to our supporters. Um, I just mentioned the... Uh, the Discord server. Uh, we have a Patreon for We Speak Common, which is an optional thing. It's just a way to support the show and help give some resources to it. So uh, there's a really, really low level of like just a quid, just a pound. Um, there's also a couple of different levels. So um, five pound a month, you get access to the server and access to every single extra piece of content I put out on Patreon. At the moment, there's a couple of things. There's a book of items that you can use in your game right now. And there's also a rework of the sorcerer that just implements the spell point variant rule in the DMG, which you can grab too. And there'll be more in the future. Um, I've got plans to do other books and I've got plans to release 
some secret things there before I release them out into the world. But uh, at the moment, life is hectic. So there's there's uh, plans, but they're, they're not coming just yet. So keep, keep an eye on that. Remember that. But uh, the Discord server is a wonderful place. And we've got about... 15 or so people in there just chatting about D&D and life and non-D&D stuff and critical role and, you know, sharing homebrew and memes. And it's it's a fun place. So if you want to come and join that, the Patreon is the way. Um, so those people are incredible people. And I know they listen every week. So thank you, guys. It really means a lot. Uh, of course, the show is brought to you in partnership with two uh, wonderful companies the dice dungeon who are who are started off as a wonderful place to get metal dnd dice they have since branded uh, branded out uh, reached out what's the right phrase to uh do resin dice but also uh, books so your actual official dnd books uh, you can pre-order uh, the van richten's guide to ravenloft right now which i'm really looking forward to um to getting actually uh, we'll, we'll do some content on that in the future. Uh, and the other is Describe, D-S-C-R-Y-B, that's how it's spelled, Describe.com, who are a great place to get box text to use in your home game. If you are really bad at writing creative box text, they do it for you with actual professionals. And they've got a ton of free uh, scenes that you can use right now. And then uh, they're a subscription-based service for uh their their growing collection something stupid like 1500 scenes at the moment that gets bigger every day so go check them out too if you want to you know purchase anything or make a subscription from dice dungeon and describe there are links in the description below for money off uh the code we speak common is 10 percent off dice dungeon and the code common gets you 10 percent off your monthly subscription every month with describe with that said and done, I uh, want to talk about something that Sam, who, if you've listened to the, the show, will know. He popped in the topic suggestions tab on the Discord and a load of people actually said, yeah, this is a great topic. We want to hear about this. Um, so we're going to go into that. If you want to get topic suggestions in and you're not in the Discord server, tweet me uh, at Ben Jeff Norris, at We Speak Common. Both of those are a good way to reach me. Email me, we speak common at hotmail.com or just, you know, write it on a piece of paper, tie it around a brick and throw it through my window. That's a really good way of getting my attention too. So he said, how do you do war in Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, how war in these scenarios could work and how to implement it into games? And literally the first <laughs> the first thing someone said was, this is so difficult. Um, and then the second response was, it's easy, you just kill stuff. Which is right, you can just kill stuff. Um, but yeah, there are a couple of... <clears throat> Uh, there are a couple of things you can do here, and I've been thinking about this in the terms that I would do it, because I know that there are a lot of books or homebrew rule sets out there for this kind of thing. I mean, straight away, we know that, and if you didn't know, Matt Koval is working on his sequel, The Second Part to Strongholds and Followers, which is about war. I forget the name of the book. I always forget the name of what the book's going to be called. So that's going to come out eventually, and that's going to be all around this thing. Um, there are other D uh, other systems like D&D, other games that do war very well and you can take rule sets from there. Uh, you know, you could do some research and find a ton of different ways to do this. But if you're like me and research is like the bane of your existence and you hate doing it, then how do you just tackle war in 5e? I, just to set this up focus mostly on storytelling rather than mechanics i think i've made that clear in the past obviously mechanics are very important and i do focus on them but for me the story comes first that's the most important thing now 
there are a number of reasons you'd have war in D&D. I mean, I know Sam's asking because he's running a game in Wildmount, which of course, as a setting, comes in, you know, in the book it's set, the point that you play from where, you know, there's tension and there's war and you can go and explore that theme. You might be running that theme in a homebrew campaign. You might be using, you know, the Forgotten Realms and having a war between multiple people or playing in a Spelljammer campaign with, with you know, spaceship war, effectively. Whatever it is, war seems to come up a lot in D&D uh, around the stories. It doesn't necessarily have to be the main focus, but it tends to always kind of be there or there's always some kind of tension. And at some point, you're going to find yourself wanting to run a a full-scale battle. For me, story-wise, that's great because that's, I keep using this word, but it's it's evocative. It's provocative. You know, you you are putting your players in a scene that you can describe so vividly with, you know, the clashes of metal, the swords against armor and shield. Uh, maybe it's a war where there's a whole battalion of wizards and they are like the scariest thing on the battlefield because they're just a ton of really powerful evocation wizards who are setting off fireballs and 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 moving flaming spheres through you know groups of people and you can describe the crackling of the fire and the screams and the shouts like war is a nasty thing you know and um, and put a pin in those wizards we'll come back to those so you can on a story base really grab this and and run with it and and have a lot of fun you can write down a bunch of smells sights sounds and just have a field day narrating and explaining what the players are seeing and if they're just watching war from a, a far off point like maybe they're in avernus and they're looking down on the blood war you know between the devils and the demons and even then it's like a mystical war because there's these winged beasts and dragon-like creatures and balors and you know all these other types of fiends and foes and whatever and if the players are just watching then you're then it's easy you're just you're just describing as soon as your players get involved that's when we need to think about the mechanics a bit more and I think I have two ways of doing this. The first is purely flavor. And that's that your players are in their encounter. Let's say you've you've decided the encounter that they're going to have, they're down on the fields, they're in no man's land, they're surrounded by, by, by war, effectively. And their encounter is them against a battalion. So let's say maybe 10, 11, 12. I don't know how many people are in an actual battalion. There's there's probably a, a specific number, like a battalion means a certain number of people. But let's say they're up against 12 armed men. And that stat block is, you know, a knight or a knight and a few bandit kind of stat blocks, those kind of enemies. So, you know, in the encounter, it's them against 10 people. But in the story, they're in the middle of a, of a battle zone and there are people fighting all around them. So you just have to, as the DM, direct the focus on those 10 people that are fighting them. So describe the the combat as you would any combat. You know, the knight runs up and he's going to cut, he takes a cut at the druid and, and just misses, but his second slice comes in low and cuts you on the forearm, dealing 20 points of damage. I don't know, the high level, I'm assuming, in a war. They might not be. You can do this at low level too. That's the beauty of it. But all the way through... When you describe, you describe what's happening around. So, for example, let's say the druid of the group has just had a turn. They've run up to a a bandit in stat block who is a knight in armor or a a low level 
lieutenant or, or just soldier, just a soldier. They've Karshalele, they've bonked him on the head. They've done a, a bit of damage. He's still standing. You, it's then his turn. So you then describe him, you know, turning, bringing his sword down and slashing through the the druid's defense and cutting his arm or something. But as as you do that, you say to the druid, you know, you, you take the pain and you, you hear uh, off to your left the scream and shout of someone... Um, in in agony and as you look you see next to you a similar battle is is happening between two garrison men one of them has just been cut down your attention is suddenly drawn back to the the soldier in front of you as he comes in for a second swing so you start describing what's going on in the the war in the fight scene around them as part of your flavorful description text in the combat and i think that's a really easy way to implement war right that's a really easy way to make the players feel like they're part of a bigger battle but really they mechanically they're just focusing on these 10 soldiers that they're fighting the bonus comes from if you've built an encounter and your players just cakewalk it you're in the middle of a battlefield more soldiers can always join so there is that and i suppose there is the opposite the kind of downside, the problem to that is that how do you make it feel and make sense that the uh, they they defeat the ten people and then no more people come in, right? For me, I would use that as a when the when the players win their fight, the garrisons around them are beginning to overwhelm the enemy. You know, really really tie the narrative to what the players are doing, make them feel like they're having an impact on this war scene that's going on around them. There's uh, the tricky thing to work with that players have autonomy and that they can say, you know, the fighter can be like, oh, I um, I want to pull someone in from the garrison around me and just chuck him. Like, you know, I can see an enemy's next to me because you've described it. So I want to use my momentum to pull him in front of me. Fine. You know, D&D is all about improvisation, I think, in, in a lot of cases. So fine, let's do that. How does that look? Well... Make a, you know, make a grapple, basically, and pick a stat block for that random NPC that's suddenly been created. It's probably going to be a bandit or a soldier, much like any of the other fighters that they're up against, and have them make the save. If they pass, they just pull out of the way. Maybe they join the battle, because that's then the downside of, you know, grabbing someone's attention. Maybe they just pull away, or something happens. They get cut down before they grab them. If they succeed, the player succeeds and pulls them in, then... You've got a few options there. You know, you can have the enemy already swinging his sword and cutting into the person, uh, the player, and so instead cuts into this this new NPC and kills him outright, deals with the problem straight away. Or you can have them clang up against each other if he misses, and then that that NPC joins the fight against the players. Uh, you know, or or if it's a, a friendly, he starts helping. So there are, um, I don't want to say downsides, but things to deal with things to keep on your toes during this kind of way of doing it and that's that the players can do anything the players can say anything and you've kind of got to roll with it but for me that's the fun so there's one way and that's a really easy way i think i think that's a really simple way to do it but what about if you want to have full-on army scenes like let's say you want to go full-on 
warhammer in this house you know you want to have groups and soldiers and battalions going up against other groups of soldiers and battalions and your players are one of those or they're part of one i would look at potentially maybe making a hybrid of like a swarm stat block so you could create a uh, a garrison stat block or, or or a squad stat block that's made up of six bandits you know you go grab the bandit stat block you look at their hp you times that by six that's the max hp of the garrison or the or the brigade or whatever you're going to call it they have um multi-attack to let's say three attacks a turn because they are uh there are there are six people um they can take up a certain amount of space that makes sense so we could say they are technically a large creature in terms of horizontally across the ground and uh you can give them some fun extra abilities like a version of pack tactics because they are people together you know so when the garrison is at um full health to half health they have advantage on attacks because they're working together or when they are at full health to half health they can have a multi-attack up to three when they get to half half health they can only do a multi-attack of two something like that and that way you can have a group of enemies you can have like six enemies tied to one stat block so that when you're players are cutting into these individual people you're just tracking a stat block right you're not tracking six individual stat blocks so let's say the fighter comes along and he cuts down one of the men um and the bandit's average hp let's assume it's 21 i'm just picking numbers off my head here i haven't got the book in front of me uh you know you take 21 off of the total hp of the stat block of the, the swarm or the garrison and you describe one of the men dying because they've cut one of them down that could be a nice way to simply simplify garrison combat and would make it easier for you to have one garrison against another or three garrisons against the players if they're really high level like if they're like 15 20 level and they're you know the they're the titans on the war field you know they're the ones running through and just ripping people to shreds and that's going to be an easier way to track that than tracking you know 20 to 30 individual stat blocks which you will lose especially at the moment we're all inside we you know we're all in lockdown and we are in the uk anyway we're playing over discord you know i'm not gonna have minis out to track the hp values of specific individual minis i'm doing theater of the mind so when someone says oh can i run up to that guy and hit him i'll be like yeah i've got to be able to remember where that guy is in relation to everyone else in my mind you know so running a garrison as a stat block like that might be a lot of an easier way to track all of that stuff and you can have some fun stuff with that too because you can you can describe the players watching the battle from a clifftop have two garrisons have the players close enough that they can intervene if they want to and be rolling out combat for the two garrisons and have them fighting and 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 because they're just one turn it's not like the players are sitting watching you roll out six turns they're watching you just do one turn and then another turn and describing what happens um i mean you don't have to do it that way if the players are just watching you can kind of narratively do it without actually doing any numbers and just know where you're at if the players do get involved like what kind of hit point value they're at or you know where they are in the turn order something like that but i think that's just a good way to simplify it that's how i would do it anyway that's what i've been thinking about for the last 
few days. If I was going to just run a war scene on the fly, I didn't want to learn a whole new rule system. I didn't want to, you know, I had a week to prep this war scene. I don't want to go learn a new system. I don't want to be stuck in a game where I'm telling my players, okay, here's how this works. Here's how this rule works in this, you know, in this case, you can make this type of action and do this type of thing. I don't want to be doing all of that when I'm, when my focus where I want my focus to be is on describing a really powerful moment in the story. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of things there. There are some things we should think about with war in D&D as well, I think, that um, I think get missed out. So obviously, when we're talking about war in D&D, our minds tend to go to like medieval war, right? Because that's the closest thing to this fantasy setting men on horseback with swords and shields and uh you know men charging and, and bow and arrow you know a squadron of bow and arrow archers that's the word i'm looking for a squadron of archers firing arrows through the sky you know that kind of thing but in this setting in this game that we play there's magic so how do we use that how do we make this war scene different and D D and fantasy and interesting so wizards going back to that pin that i put in the uh in on the wizards uh, uh, a while ago we'll pull that back out i always like to think that in a setting where there's a lot of war wizards are going to be highly valuable because they can do things that other people can't right they in in essence wizards spend their life learning right they dedicate themselves and so they are going to be highly sought out sorcerers probably too you know if you are an innately powerful person any general is going to look at you and say do you know what you are you're like my my super soldier you're my agent i'm going to use you you can do things that other people can't do so i would look at some ideas for using wizards as such like okay do i have are wizards utilized in war yes or no in your setting, if they are, great. If they're not, why? What's the reason not to tap into this magical power, this pure, you know, unrivaled power that some people possess? Why is that not used? Did something happen? Is there a Geneva Convention, basically? You know, what? what's the reason? And if you can justify that, then great. Um, and that might be fun too, because, you, you know, you can have sorcerers and wizards in your party who are like... Oh well, yeah, we'll go help out the war. And then the general has to say, no, you can't because of X, Y, Z. You know, if you do that, we will become war criminals. That could be a really interesting take, especially as a player. That would be really interesting to experience because I might be a wizard who, you know, wants to fight for his country, but he can't. Um, but I'm not very good at swinging a sword, but maybe I'm so devoted that I'm going to not use my magic when I'm on the battlefield. Like, that's a really interesting twist. Uh, but if they are allowed, how are they used? Do you have a group of purely evocation wizards or do you have abjuration ones there? Do you have wizards that go out with other battalions with the pure mission statement for them to be to protect? And so they're doing things like casting shields and making uh, walls of force, uh, you know, stuff like that. There are some really interesting homebrew spells that I've made before and, and I would encourage you to look online for some good spells for wizards in war there are probably a load that you could use like for example 
could there be a version of shield that you can cast on someone else rather than yourself um one spell i've got is uh, a reactionary spell for intercept so as a wizard or a sorcerer let's say you're in uh let's do it as a as a point of a player character using the spell because that's i think easiest for everybody to to get into the shoes of you're the wizard you have the intercept spell or you're a sorcerer of the intercept spell you're in a combat and you watch a, uh, a goblin fire an arrow at uh, a party member and you know that if they get hit by that arrow there's a good chance they're going down so you use your reaction to cast first level intercept you roll you make an arcane a ranged spell attack um with the dc being eight plus the damage the projectile will uh will cause so let's say the goblins fired his arrow and uh his damage is going to be six right so then the dc becomes eight plus six uh quick maths is 14 9 10 11 12 13 14 oh yes I'm very bad at math, sorry. Um, and so you have to beat a 14 to be able to hit it, right? You roll a 15 or you, you roll a, a 10 and your spell attack bonus is five. Great, 15. So you then shoot out a bolt of magic that hits the arrow, breaks it in midair right before it hits your friendly fighter or whoever it was I said. That's a really cool spell, right? And I, I that's not the full ins and outs of it. I'm paraphrasing. But that would be a really cool spell for a specific class of wizard to have, you know, a wizard who's trained to be, quote unquote, a war wizard. I mean, we know there's the subclass who goes out with a battalion and they've learned this spell so because their job is to protect their their garrison, their battalion. You know, maybe there's, you know, like I said, a version of shield. Maybe there's a version of wall of force that just creates a wall of force around them to keep them safe or i mean that is just wall of force i don't know there's these different things right you can you can play around with the magic system and create wizards and create spell lists for wizards that are specifically about protecting or specifically about attacking are there a group of wizards that that stay up on a hill and they are at the back of the battlefield but they are trained for range spells so they train with the spell sniper feet and they are all about flinging fire and magic missiles and lightning across the battlefield how cool would that be to experience as a player you know, your DM sits there and he says, you're running across the battlefield. There's clangs of metal and uh, people screaming and dying all around you. It's dirty. The clouds are black. It begins to rain. You hear a sudden from thunder and then you see it. 60 feet away. Horizontally across the battlefield. A bolt of lightning strikes from the hands of a man who looks far too old to be on this battlefield and rips through five of your battalions. How evocative is that? Those wizards are suddenly scary. And I think that that's something that we forget. I think wizards are meant to be frightening because they dedicate their lives to learning how to be destructive. You got to be a little bit unhinged for that, you know? So that would be really cool. But there are tons of things you can do with this. You could have high level wizards who are there to go in and buff the 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 men and women fighting. You know, wizards who go in and cast slow on the enemies. And then you've got a very different kind of war. You've got a war that's not about 
running in and clashing metal, but about running in and either maybe taking out these very important high level players very quickly or avoiding them at all costs. And you can describe different scenes. You're not just running through a battlefield and hearing the clangs of metal. You're running through a battlefield and you move past someone who is petrified and can't move. And you run past someone who is who suddenly, uh, you know, their eyes go white and they turn and start fighting their own men. Like that's that's a very different experience, but it's also very, very cool. And the way I look at it is the way I look at magic in any setting. Like when I was playing Dragon Heist, when I was running that game, I thought a lot about how magic would change society inside a city's walls because you've got the city guard running around but there are men and women who use magic you know and there's the watchful order of mages and protectors so one of the things i implemented were a high level of a city guard member who was effectively like a war wizard in a way or like a like a a pseudo paladin not everyone who uses magic has to be a class right so these guys were guard members who had swords but they also had a book strapped to their side and they had prepared spells but their spells were specific spells so they had hold person and um what were they they had hold person alarm uh, detect magic uh what else uh spells like that things that they would use in their job you know you'd use detect magic to see if someone had broken in using magic speak with dead you know they use speak with dead to talk to the man that's murdered on the street to find out who murdered him you know things like that things that would make their lives and their jobs easier so think about magic and how it would change that war scene what would it do to make it more evocative more powerful and more fun to play into um, we should take a pause and say, uh, again, um, this show is brought to you with a lot of hard work. I mean, uh, I, I spend a lot of time on this and I, and I really enjoy doing it. And it's really great when someone tells me they've enjoyed it. So if you get anything from this, do let me know. Um, you know, get in touch. Tell me what you think. Tell me your thoughts. But there are specific people who support the show who deserve a little shout out. So if you are a member of the Patreon, you know who you are. You're in the Discord server. You guys are amazing. Um, you can head over to wespeakcommon.com, which will take you to a link tree. And heads up if it pops up with a thing saying, oh, this isn't safe. It is. It's because my host provider doesn't give me a free SSL license. You just hit advanced and proceed. It'll take you to a link tree. It's fine. Um, there's a list of all the places you can find us there, including Patreon. If you want to support the show, it's the best way to do it because it means I can pay for my editing software. For example, that's one of the things that Patreon supports goes to just helping the show uh, become an easier thing to produce each week. Uh, there's of course the incredible partners of we speak common at the dice dungeon. Uh, ben and Dave are incredible people. We started talking about a year ago and we've become very, very good friends. They sell amazing D&D dice, beautiful crafted metal and resin dice now that you can get. And they also sell Wizards of the Coast published books. So you can go and pre-order the newest book, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft right now. But they started doing something brand new, which is the Bag of Fates. So it is, I think... 16 pounds i'd have to go and check to get that right but it's the cheapest way to buy beautiful metal D, D dice because metal dice aren't cheap you know they they are 
premium. And if you buy a bag of fates, there are 25 sets. You don't know which one you're getting. You open the bag, you get a beautiful set of metal dice. And some of them are dice that you cannot buy through the store any other way. So it's a great way to get exclusive dice through Dice Dungeon 2. And of course, you get 10% off your entire basket if you use the code we speak common on checkout so go and have a look and check those out they're really popular so if you like the sound of that like lucky lucky dip go and look now there's a link in the description below that will automatically uh, apply the discount and then of course there's describe dscryb.com describe are an awesome resource they have professional creative writers who write out box text that you can use in your homebrew game so if you're focusing on building out in- incredible encounters or or working on how to set up you know war like today they're a great place to go because they will do all of the hard descriptive work for you they've got a ton of free scenes that you can go and look through now and use in your games and then their extensive collection is about fifteen thousand scenes strong and it grows every week you can get full access to those and the, the the collections which put all of the relevant kind of linked up scenes together uh, by getting a membership you can do monthly yearly you know all different ways of of paying to make it easier for you but to make it a little bit better you can get 10 percent off by using the code common on checkout and that will be implemented every single month so every month you'll get 10 percent off uh, so go check them out there's a there's a link in the description below but i encourage you to check them out anyway because there are free scenes on there and they will uh if you if you can't find a scene that's free that fits your game, their style of writing will definitely inspire you. So go and have a look. And thank you so much if you do support the show in any way, whether that's by tweeting it to a friend or sending it somewhere or shouting about it or just engaging in it because it makes it all worth it. Um, getting to know people and chat to people through the show has been the best thing about it. And that's why I wanted to put together a little Discord server and, and that kind of thing so that we can get more people in there to, to chat. Uh, right now, because this episode is going out early on a Tuesday, we have a giveaway running on the We Speak Common Twitter. Just search out We Speak Common on Twitter to get a copy of The Monsters Know What They're Doing, a book that has changed my encounter building. So uh, go and grab that. You have to uh, go on Instagram to get involved in that giveaway. And I will be uh, closing the giveaway on Thursday and then announcing the winner on instagram too so go get involved uh, today i am recording this on the fifth so that means the day you hear this will be the sixth which means you've got two more days with thursday the ninth no eighth there we go <laughs> maths is hard <laughs> being the final day to enter uh, that's april 2021 if you're listening to this in the future how is it do we do we have flying cars yet i can only hope Anyway, back to the topic at hand. I want to touch on something that I think will matter to people who love rules. And I know a few of you. I mean, Joe was very much a, a rules lover. And I know uh, Ray, who plays on my table, will probably be thinking the same thing. Like, well, what about those rule systems that exist? What about hard, fast rules for combat and war? I personally don't know how I feel about them. I think that with running war in dnd I, I honestly i believe the best way to do it is hard and loose uh, hard and fast hard, loose and fast hard and soft and loose what's the phrase i think that what i'm trying to say is i think the best way to do it is on the fly in the sense so obviously prepare what you need to prepare and prepare that encounter prepare that 
flavor text prepare the the scene as it were but i think D is very good at doing the thing you don't plan for players are very good at that and i think that it's better to be able to go with the flow in a scenario like this of what the players decide to do rather than set up a set of rules that they have to run by because in my opinion if i've got a rule system set up that's like okay when you're in a war style combat you have this type of action and this type of bonus action that you can pick from that stops my players from having the freedom to be like oh i have all these abilities as a character that i can use can i do this for example you know let's say we had a rule system we could we could you know we could sit down and we could build a rule system that says when you're in open field combat you're part of a garrison you have you know like ship combat you know you have this role and you have this role and this role and these certain roles have these certain abilities they can do that i feel like that stops my player who may be in the captain role which means he can use his action to uh you know inspire his men which means they all get advantage like that sounds like such a cool system but if you do it that way i feel like my player is going to be like well what about what about if i want to just you know blow something up with a fireball and yeah you can say oh yeah well you can still do that you just won't be able to take this type of action but it becomes to muddy it down for me i think it's easier to just put your singular player characters in an encounter surrounded by all of the work that you do in the back end of it on the stat blocks and on the on the encounter building if you do it that way it's become it becomes a lot easier for the players to keep that freedom that's my opinion um i certainly think if a if i found the right rule system for it i could go with it for example i'm i've been looking at ship rule sets you know for for things and <laughs> um, secret things and uh one of the one of the things you can have is you know well you can have a bosun and you can have a captain and you can have a, a this and a that and they have these actions where they can do xyz like i just said but they can also take their normal actions but for me i mean it kind of works it's a little bit confusing at times when you're sat with players and they're like well i want to do this can i still do that yeah you can still go out there and hit something with your sword but you won't be able to take a, a captain action as the captain. Well, that's fine. They don't want to do that. And once the players get their heads around that, that's great. But if you're just throwing your players into a war scenario for like one or two sessions, I don't think it's needed. I don't think, I think you're going to end up sitting there explaining this rule set to your players and they're going to miss the, the fun of being in that scene and being in that encounter. So I don't know. I think that's just a personal opinion. You might you might completely disagree with me. But uh, if you're doing a war, like if your whole campaign is about war and players are, you know, if they're going in and they know they're part of an army and the whole campaign is about winning this war and making your way up the ranks, like that could be a really fun campaign. And I think in that, that instance, then those rule sets are warranted and they make sense because you're going to be using them all the time. If you're running a, a, a shipping campaign, you know, where you're a pirate and you are you start as just you know deckhands and you work your way up and you get your own ship and you're always at sea and you've and every now and then you go into land it makes sense to have a full-on boat ship kind of rule set if you're just getting on a ship for five sessions it might be worth it 
but it also might not, you know, it, it depends on the group. So I think you really kind of need to feel that up around your players. Like, what do they need to make it make sense? And if they can just go in knowing their stuff as a single player in a normal combat and you can do all that work behind the scenes, then that's probably the best way to do it, especially if they're only going into war once in the whole campaign. But those are just my thoughts. And I'd love to hear yours. I'd love to know what you think about this. I want to know how you would run war. How would you do you know, a combat encounter on the battlefield surrounded by people. All of the stuff we've talked about, are wizards important? Do you do you like them as part of your war scene? Or do you want it to be more realistic? Uh, get in touch. I want to I wanna know. Um, at We Speak Common on Twitter, at Ben Jeff Norris is my personal. And then, of course, you can email at WeSpeakCommon.com. Yes, <laughs> think about that. Uh, or you can... Uh, jump on the patreon get on the discord server and head over to the episode discussion channel where we are uh, going to be talking about this i hope because um i think this is a really interesting conversation uh, i will definitely put it forward to to the guys on there and see what they think um i'm gonna i'm gonna end it there i think it's been a good 40 minutes this is a little bonus episode just to make me feel like i've had some sort of D thing today and also to make me feel like I'm doing something for the podcast because I was feeling a bit bit down about it. Uh, let me know what you think about this system. It's just me here today. Just Ben. Do you mind? Do you want to hear the occasional episode where it's just me? Or do you want just me and someone else? Because that's fine. That's fine too. It just, uh, sometimes it's hard to get someone on. Have a brilliant day. Uh, enjoy yourself whatever you're doing whenever you're listening to this and yeah i hope to speak to you soon see you later thanks for listening today if you like the show do us a favor leave us a like and review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends send us to your fellow dms and players so that we can build our community even more it really helps to get us out in front of more eyes if you want to support the show you can by joining our patreon Links can be found in the show description and the episode descriptions on all platforms. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82. It's licensed under a Creative Commons license by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.